Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Rainy Market Minute. Today is Friday, June 24th, and this is episode number 142. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host and the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right, good to be back uh, with everybody here again today. Very pleased to see the week close strongly for the markets and uranium in particular. Um, it's been a pretty, uh, it's been tough sledding over the past few months. So anytime we have any, it's one of these big up days, it at least eases, eases the pain of the uh, volatility in the markets over the past few months. So very, very pleased to see that and some strong closes on the week for today. Um, there's some interesting news that I think helped to propel the market, the uranium market a bit. I'm going to talk about in the mailbag section today. Probably going to be a pretty short episode. I've been plenty on my soapbox all week, pounding the table on the fundamentals, et cetera. Uh, so I'm not. I'm going to leave that alone for today. And we'll just run quickly through the daily scoreboard, the charts, and then I will discuss uh, the frailty of this market, especially on the supply side and a disruptive element that came into the news cycle today with regards to that. So without further ado... Let's get in the daily scoreboard, uh, spot market, spot flows, ETF flows, et cetera. U3A is currently sitting at 47.75 a pound, this is up 50 cents from yesterday. Uh, Sprott did purchase 100,000 pounds yesterday, although they remained at a very, very large discount to NAV. In fact, they closed at a 14 plus percent discount to NAV yesterday. The trust traded up very nicely today, but with spot uh, up 50 cents, still probably have a ways to go before closing that discount gap, getting back around NAV and back to that 1% premium to the previous day's closing NAV, allowing them to issue shares into the market. Um, hopefully, if we can get some risk back on in the next week or two, maybe we'll close that gap. Either way, 14% discount yesterday is a huge, huge discount to NAV, and I guarantee you there are some smart players taking advantage of that. Uh, the total NAV of SPUT now sits at $2.73 billion, cash in its treasury, $65.8 million. Um, since New Year's Day, they've acquired now a total of 15.4 million pounds, and they have raised $847.5 million in new capital. And that happened in the first few months. As we know, they have not raised, they have maybe raised $100 million in the last six weeks, um, which is still a lot of money, but uh, relative to what they've raised since the inception of their ATM, and especially year to date, uh, it's still been pretty risk off. Turning to the ETFs, neither URA nor URNM reported any uh, redemptions, no mandated buying or selling, no share issuances uh, on the reporting today. So yesterday I had mentioned that investor fatigue is definitely palpable. That clearly was, uh, was the story for the good part of the week. Um, it felt to me like we're, we could definitely be in a classic bear trap here. Um, I'm sure you all have seen the uh, very simplified graphic of, uh, of a commodity cycle or actually a cycle of any sector or stock, et cetera, where you have the initial takeoff, the smart money positioning, the initial takeoff, and then the bear trap. So it's a good, a, a good pullback after the initial strong uh, first couple of legs up, and that washes out all of the weak hands. Um, I don't think we've yet seen capitulation in this sector. I don't know that we'll need to. It really uh, depends on catalyst, depends on funds flow. Um, but sentiment is still quite low here, not only for uranium, just across markets. And I think that the sentiment has to do with the price. The price is controlling the narrative here. So despite the fact that 
Um, you have people like myself who are uh, discussing the fun fundamentals on an almost daily basis, pounding the table on the fundamentals, very, very confident in the mid and long term in the markets. And you have um, you know, the, the fireside chat that I mentioned yesterday. By the way, the link in the description below, finally, Red Cloud has posted a link to that, um, to that fireside chat. That was Mike Alkin from Station Cove, one of the first real vocal proponents of this trade, uh, you know, back 2016, 2017, when they first started digging into this um, around the same time that I did. In fact, they were probably there a little bit earlier than that. Um, my, uh, Marcelo Lopez from L2 Capital, also um, a longtime player in the Iranian markets and a very intelligent, um, a very kind person. And he also uh, was breathing fire yesterday in this chat. And then you had Guy Keller from Tribeca. All three of these guys represent funds that are very, very exposed to uh, the long uranium thesis. They manage uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that are invested in this trade. And because of that, or uh, due to that, I should say, they've had tens of thousands of hours of research into the sector. And if you did not watch that fireside chat, please go do it. Go do it right after watching this video. And the link will be in the description below. Um, so fundamentals aside, the price has been the narrative lately because uh, the sentiment is actually being driven by the price action. The price action has been terrible. There's no, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it while the fundamentals are strong. So you have um, the contrarian-minded people, the really deep, patient people, uh, any of these, these contrarian-minded people with cash, they're loving this. They're absolutely loving this. Rick Rule is smiling ear to ear. Um, the Sager guys, the Station Cove guys, the L2 guys, the Trebekah guys, the Old West guys, you, you guarantee you that they are elated to be putting cash to work at a 50% off sale with the fundamentals vastly superior than what they were a year ago. Um, so, but either way, the price has become the narrative until um, we see otherwise. So let's, on that note, why don't we look at the charts? Very strong day today for URA, up 7% on pretty uh, increasing volume. That was really good to see. All close to double the volume of the last few trading days. Very nice action. Back right at that trend line. Will this be a classic undercut low of a trend line? Will we regain that? And this is not a, a super strong trend line. I mean, honestly, we've, we touched this three times in the past two years. Um, trend lines are not something that I really uh i really rest my head down on these are not something that i make strong bets on unless they've repeated over and over and over and over and held many many times i just find this interesting that it, it roughly matches that um, livermore accumulation cylinder which we've discussed many times in the past so uh, we lost that lower trend line but we regained it within a few trading days and if we see strength going out into this week and if that strength continues this very well could be an undercut low and we regain this pattern. Either way, I've been highlighting all week the very strong positive divergence in the relative strength index. So when you see a lower low in the stock and a higher low in the RSI, oftentimes that can point a bottom and the opposite is true. If we see a higher high in the stock and a lower high in the RSI, oftentimes that can, uh, that can point to a high, an interest cycle top, and it very much did. Now, this is not uh, religion. This is not uh, this. This is not fiat. This is not something that is guaranteed every time. Just like most things in technical analysis, you just do that. You just look at certain markers in order to gauge some idea of where we are at. I discussed where we are 
um, awareness of the pendulum of these cycles. They, they shift back and forth all the time. And these indicators can help us to gauge where we are at in that pendulum swing. And as I mentioned um, a few episodes ago in the episode about the awareness of the pendulum, I feel that we are further towards the one side of the pendulum in terms of the lows, lows in sentiment, lows at least short-term, near-term lows in the uh, price of uranium. Now, looking at the weekly chart for URA, this is a beautiful, beautiful hammer, and this very likely is marking um, a low, at least for the time being. Now, we'll have to see if this ends up being a counter trend rally with the short-term trend as being bearish. We're trading below a declining 200-day moving average. That is bearish. Um, we've got these downtrending lower highs, and this is not a perfect trend line, but you can see that we're making lower highs. Um, and we, we kind of have this parallel channel happening here. Which way will we go? Will we break out and move back up within this Livermore accumulation cylinder, or will we continue to top down in this de declining channel? Uh, I don't have a crystal ball, but that's just what I'm seeing on the screen. Either way, nice to see big volume on the week come into URA and have it print. Uh, excuse me, that's on the day. Um, and have it print a hammer on the week. That's very strong. Cameco also up nicely over 6% on the day, increasing volume. Did not close at the highs on the day. That would have been nice to see. Still trading below that 200-day moving average, which is starting to turn over to the downside. That is still a short-term bearish chart. We need to regain that 200-day moving average. Um, we are still making a higher low from the January lows for Cameco. Most stocks in the space are making lower lows from January, despite all of the developments since then, uh, let alone the invasion of Ukraine by Russia effectively bifurcating the nuclear fuel market, which is what we're seeing. And I'll talk a bit more about that in the mailbag section. Sprott Physically Uranium Trust having a strong day as well, up almost 5% on the day. Did not close at the highs on the day, but still helped to close that gap, that discount to NAV gap. So we're probably more like uh, nine-ish percent at a discount to NAV. Still very, very large, still not seeing volume come into this thing. Where's the volume? It's not there. And this being the institutional darling in the space, look at the volumes that we saw on these big runs up before, right? We had this huge run up, August, September, massive increase in volume, big run up uh, February through April, increase in volume here as well. We're just not there. We're just not there in terms of new volume coming after this. So my opinion, the weakness that we've seen this week has been uranium getting stuck with an energy trade risk off in the energy, seeing oil pull back, seeing copper pull back, any potential funds that have exposure to resources, have exposure to energy, taking risk off the table. Sometimes they just have to sell what they own in order to reduce risk. And that, and unfortunately, uranium sometimes can, can get lumped into that. So that's kind of where we're at. And until we see big volume come back into spot, I'm hesitant to say that we're completely out of the woods. With all of that said, it sure feels good when they stop hitting you in the head with the hammer. You know what? I want to show you one more chart, actually, just to see where we're at, because I haven't looked at this today yet. Uh, URA relative to the S&P. All right. We are hanging in there with this trend line. Strong day. Even the S&P was up today. Very strong day in the S&P, but a very big day for URA. I like to see this trend line hold. I like to be able to zoom out and see, oh, we are still outperforming the broad market. It's very, very important to maintain a bull trend. And as we know, due to the, uh, the, the insufficient liquidity at times, due to the extreme volatility of the Iranian stocks, some of them trade quite thinly. Some of them have very, very 
small free floats in terms of the uh, the number of shares that are that are frequently traded on the open market relative to the total shares that are outstanding. Some of the stocks like NextGen, for example, has, you know, or excuse me, ISO Energy that's majority owned by NextGen, that can trade with extreme volatility due to the low float. So when we see air pockets in the S&P, uranium tends to underperform. When we see choppy markets or even slightly green markets in the S&P, the uranium stocks tend to outperform. We are still, in my opinion, in a bull market for uranium. As long as we don't see these big, just fishing lines straight down, we tend to outperform. We tend to decouple from the broad market. That's something that I would like to continue to see. Okay, getting into the mailbag section, there was some news that came out today that, in fact, I'll go ahead and just share, uh, share the tweet. Sprott uh, Asset Management shared this tweet this morning. There is a Canadian Class 7 vessel in, in St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg is the main port in Russia. This is the port where Kazakhstan, for example, ships their U-308 to in order to send that out to the world, um, to whoever they're selling it to. Uh, this is also where Russia will ship their, their UF-6 and their EUP out to, uh, in the case of UF-6, they'll send that out to... Um, to the converters or to the enrichers. In case of EUP, they'll either send that to the utilities and it'll be held at a conversion facility or it'll be sent to a fuel fabricator. So there's a class, uh, there's a Canadian class seven vessel in St. Petersburg, which is scheduled to load Russian EUP enriched uranium product intended for delivery to three companies in the USA. The owner of the vessel ARRC line has concluded it cannot load and deliver the material as it would be in violation of Canadian law. Okay, so what have I said on this channel ad nauseum? There's two things that are really important to understand here that I've repeated and maybe I'm repeating again. One is uh, looking at the potential for quote unquote sanctions. You have the, the majority of the Twitter tourists, the Uranium tourists, the retail people that are chasing the sanction story, they're waiting for the word sanction to pop up on their Twitter feed. And what I've been saying all along is sanctions are not necessary. Utilities are already self-sanctioning. And the supply line coming from Russia and coming from Kazakhstan um, to that effect is so fragile that all it takes is something like this. It takes a Canadian freighter to say, yeah, we can't take this material because we're going to violate Canadian law. Whether or not the contracts are still valid between the U.S. utilities and uh, Uranium One or Rosatom, it doesn't matter. The ship is not going to deliver that material. Will that be uh, rectified because the utilities need that material? How much can the United States influence Canada in this particular situation? Will they find a different shipper to take that material? I don't know. I'm sure the U.S. utilities are going to do what they can to get that material um, because in some cases that could actually affect their near-term operations. I'm talking in the next year or two or three, if they have a reload and they got to make, they need to, they need that EUP to fabricate the fuel to reload the reactor. Um, this could be uh, an issue of security of energy generation for these utilities. However, without actual sanctions, you're still seeing these disruptions. You're seeing insurance companies uh, neglecting to insure shipments that are that are operating either either out of port, uh, the port of St. Petersburg or across the Caspian, etc. Um, these are this is a very very fragile market, and that takes me to my second point. This was discussed uh, back in January when we saw the unrest in Kazakhstan that caused a quick pop in the uranium equities that uh, quickly 
um, came back down because that situation was under control quite quickly. This is when the populace was supposedly riding around uh, overnight. Uh, the, the price caps on, on uh, what was it, liquid gas, I believe, had come off and the prices jumped up really quickly and the people were riding. And that, that was the mainstream story. I don't want to get into the, the geopolitics, but essentially um, the Russians and the Belarusians came in to quell that uprest, that unrest. And we had, you know, the quick pop in uranium equities and, and the spot price, and that came right back down. That did spur a number of contracts. We saw Cameco report 40 million pounds contracted in the first five weeks of the year. Likely that had to do um, at least some influence from that situation. But that situation had brought something up to me that I spoke about in the market minutes in January. And this, of course, is further exacerbated by what's going on in the Ukraine. And that is that this, this absolutely vital element, uranium, and all of the elements of the fuel cycle, the UF6, the EUP, the fab fuel, these are vital for electricity generation for nations, certain nations in particular, that's the United States, that's France, that's the UK. Uh, you know, there's dozens of others that are highly reliant on this, obviously China, uh, increasingly Japan, etc. This is a vital, vital element. And the supply chain is so unbelievably fragile. You have 40% plus of the world's U-308 produced in a single country. That country happens to share the largest land border in the world with Russia. And so this, the bet that I'm making on uranium, possibly you are as well, has a lot to do with understanding the static nature of demand and the fragility of supply. It's not that I am betting on something happening. It's the fact that without a disruption, the setup is bullish. There is a supply shortfall. There is increasing demand. There is an increasing incredible narrative around a re-embracing of nuclear as a solution for climate, uh, as a solution for clean energy, as a solution for electrification of everything, which is apparently what we're doing now. And so we're not betting on that. What we're, what, we're, what we're betting on is the fact that you have this backdrop and the supply is unbelievably fragile and anything can come up and disrupt that supply. Mining is a very dangerous, very complex enterprise. Of course, Kazakhstan is mining with ISR, so it's less dangerous and less complex, but still, what are we seeing in Kazakhstan? We're seeing interruptions to their supply of sulfuric acid. We're seeing big price spikes in the cost of sulfuric acid. We're seeing a major war breakout with their neighbor that they have mass influence from. In the past, they are trying to do what they can to separate themselves politically from Russia. But of course, Russia had their back a few short months ago when they needed them. It's a very complicated scenario. So now we have a beautifully bullish setup for the commodity for nuclear going out through into this decade and beyond. And we have static and rising demand with very, very fragile supply. That's the bet. The bet is on some type of disruption is practically guaranteed. And now we're seeing multiple types of, of disruption. We're seeing the biggest player in the conversion and the enrichment space effectively being cut off from the West. We're seeing shippers refusing to ship that material. It, it's, it's, it's a very, it, it's difficult to overstate how how important and how huge this type of news is and how this setup is about to affect the U308 market. And that's the beauty of this trade. That's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is that 
when you dig into it, you know, and most people don't. Okay. That's the beauty of it. And it doesn't take a lot of digging to get into this, but if you're really focused on it, like we are, then you understand it. And when you understand it, then you feel the way that I am obviously expressing to you in these videos, which is let the market take it down, let the broad market dump, go ahead. I don't really care. I know what's coming and I'm positioning for that. So I hope you all have a great weekend. And like I said, if you haven't yet, please do watch the fireside chat um, for, with Mike Alkin and Marcelo Lopez and Guy Keller from Red Cloud Securities. It's really a, a brilliant way to put a nice, uh, to, to tie a bow around the thesis and go into the weekend with. Um, things are not looking great for the broad markets. They're not looking great for economies. I think that a further and deeper recession is likely. Um, everyone is betting on when the Fed is going to pivot hawkish and pull back on their rate hikes. I'm not making that bet. That's going to happen. Does it happen next month? Does it happen six months from now? I don't really know. Can things get worse? Absolutely, they can. But the fundamental setup is so unreal here. That's what I'm focusing on. And uh, I hope that you have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Do appreciate all of you. Cheers.